This week on Dig Me Out. It's got one of the worst lyrics I've ever heard. What's the worst lyric ever? Don't make my mouth water. Don't make me want to slaughter. Yes. So, but then what? the rest of it, what happens after that? It gets better. I don't, I don't even know. Don't but make the, me want to water. Don't make me want to slaughter. Tim and Jay review Stereotype A by Chibo Mato. Welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again for episode 161 of season four, Mr. Jason Ziek. Jay. Yeah. We are joined on this episode uh, by a very special guest. And um, this is actually a person who has been on almost every episode secretly. Secretly. Well, not secretly. That's not the way to put it. Uh, it. It's a person that has has appeared on every episode, but we haven't actually really addressed it. And that's uh, my wife, Katie, who does all of the jingles for our episode. She does the opening episode and she does uh, opening of the, each episode and she does the um, history of the band and she does the closing. Yeah. Yeah, I do that. Welcome to the show, Katie. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm in my own home, so sure. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, Jay. You ventured down to the basement. Yeah. It's a good basement. Mm-hmm. Let's Detected. see what Tim do- does down there. Got a radon detector. We're yeah, we're good down here. Um, and this is an album that Katie uh, is fond of, so and it, it perfectly lined up with the timing of a new release by this band. And I'm speaking of Chibo Mato who have a new album out this week called Hotel Valentine, just in time for Valentine's Day. And I thought, what a great opportunity to revisit one of the more unique bands of the 1990s, and that's Chibo Mato. So, Jay, uh, were you familiar at all with Chibo Mato? Uh, yeah. I knew the band, and I knew the chicken song, but uh, that was about <laughs> it. It's important to know your chicken. That's right, know that's your all. chicken. Yep. I actually didn't really know that song. So, Katie, we I, I brought you in because you had said previously, you know, you'd like to join us on an episode, and there was a couple albums that you were interested in. We can't seem to convince Jay to um, revisit the Mazzy Star collection. So well, we did a Mazzy Star out. album, <laughs> and we did we did, and actually, you wanted to join us on Jimmy Eat World's Clarity, but we did that with Tom Mullen from the Washed Out Emo Podcast. And I would have liked to have met Sean Smith. Yeah, that one too. So there's been a number of episodes we've done that possibly you could have joined us for, but we went with other guests instead. Thanks. And um, <laughs> that feels good. We went that with more important good. people. No, yeah, thanks, Jay. Thanks. So we're bringing you on. We're mm-hmm. bringing you aboard. Because you couldn't find anyone else. Because uh, <laughs> members of Chibamato wouldn't join us for this episode. <laughs> Sean Lennon was busy. Yeah, Sean Lennon was busy. Yeah. Being sure. the son of John Lennon. And. Um, we're going to talk about Chibomato's sophomore release, Stereotype A. So, Katie, how did you discover Chibomato and this album? Well, you know, that's an interesting question, Tim. <laughs> I do have sort of a high fidelity, very nostalgic story that goes with this because, you know, I'm from North Northeast Ohio. It's really Northwest Ohio, but, you know, whatever. I was from Lorraine, as, as Jay is, Amherst. And um, we used to drive into the Lakewood area because that's where you went if you were interesting. <laughs> and we would go to Barnes & Noble, which was probably really more like Avon Lake. And, uh, you know, it's pretty exciting to go to the Barnes & Noble on Saturday night. I was that kid. <laughs> and uh, I remember picking up a copy of CMJ, the, uh, the magazine. College Music Journal. Right. And uh, I probably was a junior in high school. And the uh, the song Sci-Fi Wasabi was on a mix that that month for okay. CMJ, and that was actually how I discovered Chibomato. So I was just used to playing that that little mix while I did homework and things. And then when I was a senior in high school, I actually saw them with Luscious Jackson. I still have yet to figure out who I saw them with. I even put this to Facebook, and no one seems to remember who went. 
with me. But I know I went because I, I came home with a tank top. Were you not wearing any clothing when you went? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was that kind of show. Okay. Yeah. Jay, what, do you remember uh, at our radio station, WFAL, playing uh, some Chibomato on the radio, or did you discover them through uh, MTV, or what was your uh, entree into Chibomato? Uh, MTV, I think. Well, I think it was at the same time. The Know Your Chicken song, I believe, was played on FAL, and then um, I think I saw the video for it at the time. Um, I remember it being kind of a novelty sort of thing at least that's sure. what it felt to me um so and i i was aware of this record i'd seen the album cover and sort of knew that they continued beyond the one song and continue to release music but that's all i really knew about them and and like you i i knew them because of know your chicken which was played in heavy rotation at our radio station in college and and uh i actually didn't follow up with them i didn't know this record until we started reviewing it i knew maybe a single but i didn't know the whole album so oh, you know i also saw the beastie boys when i was a junior and i remember them mentioning chibomato right because they're on the same label right grand royal yeah so uh, let's get into a little history of chibomato history of the band so Chibomato formed in New York City by Yukuka, Yuka Honda and Miho Hattori in 1994. Chibomato means crazy food in Italian. Yeah. In 1995, Chibomato released their self-titled EP on El Diablo Records. EP caught the attention of Warner Brothers Records, who signed Chibomato later that year. And they released the uh, album Viva La Woman. The single Sugar Water was a modest college radio hit, and the song was accompanied by a video directed by Michael Gondry, who would go on to direct a number of very uh, significant independent films, such as Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, in 1997, Chibomato released the EP entitled Super Relax, um, and on that EP they were joined by Sean Lennon, which we mentioned earlier, who's the son of John Lennon. Along with Timo Ellis and Duma Love, they went on to release their second album, Stereotype A, which we are reviewing, in 1999. And they continued to play live and tour until disbanding in 2002. They reunited in on March 18, 2011 per, to perform as a part of a benefit concert for the victims of the 2011 uh, Japanese earthquake and tsunami. And in May of 2011, they announced a U.S. reunion tour called yeah, basically Chibomato. In two thousand or in uh, two thousand thirteen, in June, the band played the Meltdown Festival in London, and announced that their new album would be released in two thousand fourteen, and so promised. Their third album, Hotel Valentine, will be released on February fourteenth, which is Valentine's Day. So that is the history of. Chibomato, if you want to suggest a band for us to review, of course, visit our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. We did get some Facebook feedback on this record. Uh, Mr. Sean Morton says, love this album. Dimitri Dummitree said, I just bought it for two pounds. I don't know what that translates into to, in terms of uh, dollars, but I think that's like four or five dollars. I think it's like three hundred and forty-two dollars. Yeah, I think you're I right. I think there. Jay's right about that. <laughs> I think Jay's right. Yeah. And That's he said, accurate. "I'd better take a listen and get back to you." So we're waiting to hear back from Dimitri on this album. I look forward to hearing from him. I do too. Scott Russell Halgram says, "My takeaway from this album is that the songs are cute, but too long, and there are too many of them. And then, holy God, come to find out that the Japanese version is even two songs longer. Seriously, can you imagine anybody listening to this and thinking, yeah?" That's the perfect amount of content for what we have to say. Don't cut a thing. Cut every song <laughs> cut every song off at the midpoint, and I think I'd like this quite a bit. And David Dirty Gert Gorgos says, All I know about this band is that I like to torture people with know your chicken. Dirty Gert. Dirty Gert. Longtime listener, frequent contributor, one time guest, chiming in on this album. 
and Chibamato. So let's get into the album. Let's go track by track. Let's let's break this sucker down and start with track number one, Working for a Vacation. Katie, let's start with you. Working for a Vacation. Tell me, what did you think revisiting this album, opening it up with track number one, Working for, working for a Vacation? Uh, I enjoy this first track. It got a thumbs up from me. I think it sets a good tone. And I think it, um, I think it is uh, the proper introduction to the band. This is them at their best. I think I enjoy this song. Jay, yeah, I don't mind this song. Um, I like the bass line, pretty decent. Um, I don't love the verses, you know, but I do like the harmonies in the chorus. Um, you know, and it's it's definitely a distinct sound. Um, so I think it's a good start for the record. I think it's an interesting opener because it kind of kind of sets the tone that they play with a lot of different mm-hmm. um, genres of music. This has an elements of like reggae or reggaeton, um, and they bounce around from different sounds from song to song, and and the opener sort of uh, gives you a taste of that. Um, I think it's a a nice mid tempo track from them. I don't think it's the strongest in terms of their melodies. Um, I think that they get to those later on in the album, but I think it's a decent opener. Um, Spoon, however, I think is where they start to show off like their ability to their, their songwriting ability. Really catchy. Is it really cool? Like acoustic guitar solo in mm-hmm. it. What'd you guys think? I like when they mention food. <laughs> usually, usually they're doing well if they mention food and they do in this song. I like, you know, not only do they have an acoustic guitar solo, but it's horns into piano into acoustic guitar, and that was fun. So I enjoyed it. Okay. Oh, is it my turn? Yeah, it's your turn. Uh, yeah, this is too lounge for me. By the time you get to the horns and the the piano, and it's just I don't know, it's a little too jazzy and. Uh, not really my thing. I, well, I prefer the first song, which I think it touches. It starts to get near that, but it doesn't go over the line, and this starts to go over the line, especially with the, the sort of the waka waka guitar, and it just has mm-hmm. all the, the the lounge stereotypes. It's funny you mention the, the lounge aspect because um, the drummer on a lot of this album is the drummer from Soul Coughing, so there's a there's a crossover element, you know, obviously with Sean Lennon's. Uh, Into the Sun album, there's a lot of, you know, sort of uh, Beatlesque pop involved, which I don't think necessarily translates as much as the soul coughing element, which has that loungy sort mm-hmm. of beat poet sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this al- this this particular song, Spoon, definitely like has a soul coughing sort of element to it. Um, I like it a lot. I think it's I think the vocal is what really makes the song. And I think it has a cool bass line as well. And I think the bass playing on this record is um, really cool. I, you know, a lot of people listen to this album, they probably think, well, this is a lot of samples. and this." But actually, this was all, not all, but quite a bit of this album was played live and then um, looped in the way that, the same way that, like, with the Beastie Boys would do with, like, Check Your Head or Ill Communication, where they would sort of jam and then pick parts out and then loop those parts to make a, a song. So they're live parts, but they're actually looped um, as a uh, as a recording um, experiment. I think that transitions well into the next album, which is Flowers, which has this sort of stereo lab kind of um, Brazilian pop sort of sound. It, I don't know if it's Bossa Nova. It's Bossa Nova. Yeah, it has a Bossa Nova feel. My note says Bossa Nova. Okay, well, you're more musically educated than myself <laughs> and Jay. So... Um, Break down the bossa nova for us. What does that mean exactly? Well, don't blame it on the bossa nova. I don't know what that means. I don't know. 60-year-olds will. Um, we have a lot of 60-year-olds listening to <laughs> I'm sure you do. Um, there are a couple bossa nova tracks on this one. I think this one works. The other the other ones do not that come later. Um, I think because of tempo. I also think because uh, this has some good harmonies in it. Overall, I think... You know, anytime they balance that like quirky rap speak beat that they do, 
versus a, a chorus where they sing usually goes well. That's the formula that I, that I think works for them, which is why I like these first three tracks, three, four tracks. Jay, how's the bossa nova working for you? You know, I, it kind of, I can't help but like when I listen to, to it to think of like, you know, on an old Casio keyboard, if you hit the bossa nova rhythm maker, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it would sound exactly like this. So while I like the idea of using a bossa nova beat as the core, like, I don't know. I just struggle with, do you have to have all of the elements of bossa nova? <laughs> like, do you have to have the, you know, the the other, the way, you know, the organ part and the, the full band doing it? Could you like, so I just get thrown by that. Um, I do like the, again, I, I, I didn't realize this band did harmonies. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I think that works really well in the chorus. I think, the you know, the, the melody of the chorus and the harmony of the chorus is, is, is um pretty unexpected and um works pretty well but uh, i just i have a hard time with this one getting over the music well let's get to track four which is lint of love i had a hard time with this song only in that it's way too long it's six minutes and ten seconds and they go into what i want to call the um satchel ending which is they turn into a metal song at the end uh reminds me of like a satchel song (laughs) in a way where uh, you have this like groove-oriented tune, and then all of a sudden you mix in this metal guitar that comes out of nowhere. Um, Sean Smith would have been able to handle this a lot better. It, it's actually not a bad song. It's just way too long, and and could have ended it at about four minutes. I mean, this this was a good pop song, and I even like the sort of lyrical content, um, lint of love, having this like leftover of a of a relationship in your pocket that you're carrying around but they just they just did not know where to edit this song and it carries on and it it almost ruined it for me i'm going to give them because i like the song i'm going to give it to them but um i don't know what what did you guys think about lint of love uh yeah it's like they can't you know they had a nice little verse chorus kind of rhythm thing and then they just keep playing it over and over again and it sounds like they just have like guests come in the studio who play different instruments and rap and do different things and just have them like add a part and then add another part and add another part and six minutes later like okay we got a song now so you know i think at like two and a half minutes i would have been good but um yeah six minutes in you're like okay um you guys are out of friends who play instruments and sing and rap so i guess we can wrap the song up (laughs) It's a little little overboard. Yeah, I agree. This is the first track that I just didn't really like. I think think the chorus is okay. The hook is okay. Um, It's got a cute sentiment, like you said, Tim. But I just think overall, even even the first four minutes are still pretty forgettable. Sometimes their tempo is an issue. It can dirge along instead of having intensity. You know, I understand having a slower-tempoed song, but just doesn't work for me. Well, speaking of slower tempos, we have Moonchild at track five. And this is where the band goes into a Sade sort of uh, mode, I, I thought. <laughs> I think it's a pretty astounding song because it's so melodic and so pretty. And if you listen to the first record, you'd have no idea that this band was capable of a song like Moonchild, which really sounds like it could be on a Sade record. Sounds nothing like the samples that in and in, in, um, keyboard driven uh, stuff that's on the first record, Viva La Woman. Um, I, I in listening to this record, I was like a astou- I thought this was a cover. I was like, "There's no way this band could have written this song because it's so pretty and and so melodic." And I found out that this this actually was an original song by them, which made me think, "Well, how was this not like a huge?" single but then i remember this came out in like 1999 or whatever year it was uh yeah it was yeah, 1999 was so there's no chance of this being a single uh maybe a couple years earlier this could have been a single yeah that's guess. a good point like i uh, i didn't i didn't realize the year on this i would have guessed this was a, a mid a mid-90s record right um i, I guess uh, i'll just continue my thought on the song but the, this is my favorite of the of the songs we've we've gone through so far, um, the thing that that I wish they would have done though is uh, 
I don't think you need the bass and the drums in this song, at least not the way they're done. Like, I mm. think they get in the way of the vocal and the, and you're right, Tim, the, the melody, which is really pretty nice and, um, and surprising. And, um, I don't know. They're just, I think they're most of the song. I'm like, I wish I could just turn the bass and the drums off. Cause they're not really adding anything for me other than giving it like a shot, a vibe, which melodically, you know, it would go on a whole, it would feel completely different if you just had the acoustic guitar and maybe some softer rhythm and the vocal. And I think I would like it a lot more. To be to be honest, I I listened to my second listen of this one was on my phone, so there's a good chance I just didn't really hear the percussion. But um, I did. This is probably one of my favorite tracks of the entire album. As as an alto, um, this definitely has the uh, an alto. Well, I am. This this definitely has the range that I think just like falls into that like theory of good vowels. Like it doesn't really matter what they're saying. Although I do like the lyrics. I don't really think it matters what they're saying. This just like falls in the perfect range for most guys or girls to sing along in the car. And that's really when you get a good single, I think, you know, regardless of content sometimes, but um, the melody is beautiful and it's easy to sing along with. And, yeah, I really like this one. I think what actually makes the song is not necessarily the moon child part, but like the the part after that where it's like a more of a it's like it has that like um sass to it, mm-hmm. which that's where you get hooked on the song. Um Yeah, it's it's a it's a really I guess surprising song from a band that on the next song goes into what I would consider the more traditional Chibomato sound, which is sci-fi wasabi. Um, it has that like uh, 1960s horn James Bond feel to it, um, with the you know rap of uh, Yuka Honda. I think it's Yuka Honda who's doing the most of the singing. I'm not sure. I'm always confused because one of the one of the band members, I think it's Yuka Honda, is the singer. I might be wrong about this. And then Miho Hattori is like primarily the producer musician of the band, but that might be reversed. It might be Yuka Honda who's more uh, the producer. I'm not sure, but it's not well defined um, in the notes for the in Wikipedia or anything like that. This to me transitions like more closer to the Viva La Woman first album with like hip hop mixed with samples mixed with. Um, sort of a pop culture slash food uh, take on um, 90s culture. I think the horns are really cool mm-hmm. um, and there's not a lot of you know bands that were able to utilize horns or horn samples in a really interesting way in the 90s so I appreciate that. Um, Jay, I'm curious as to your take because I don't th- necessarily think of you as being a big fan of uh, 
Porn samples. <laughs> uh, no. I mean, they sound like the, the, the horn, I mean, the horn sound on a keyboard. Um, but the one thing I do like about this song is that, uh, there is like a dark sort of, um, I don't know if it's a guitar or some sort of keyboard that's brought into the verses, Mm -hmm. um, and the chorus that I, I do like quite a bit. I mean, I'm, I love contrast. So when you take their sort of cute vocal style and Mm -hmm. contrast it with something that's kind of dark and menacing sounding i think that's a good mix i wish they did it more um on the record actually so i like that part of it but it's got some of the like you mentioned it it it, it may it, it felt familiar with the chicken song so it has sort of that like novelty appeal of all the pop culture stuff mixed with the you know cute japanese vocal and that whole thing yeah i agree this is you know this is the track that brought me to them so I'm partial. This was the CMJ sample track? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy this song. To me, this is this is how I identify with the band. So I, I really feel like when they're doing things well, you don't think about it. Um, so in this song, I just really just enjoy the song. On other tracks, like the next one, for example, I feel like... Oh, Katie making the segue. Oh, oh. Segue. Back up, um, but, you know, on that next track, <laughs> I feel like it stands out. It sounds like an experiment, you know, as someone who yeah. went through college and had composition and theory classes to me, sometimes like it's almost laughable how much this this whole album just to me sounds like good and bad examples of someone's composition homework, you know, like go out and write me a bossa nova song. OK. And then they come back with a track. Right. So Sci-Fi Wasabi doesn't sound like that to me at all. Like it's it's a cohesive song. I enjoy it for what it is. I move on. But then when you go on to Clouds, it just like stands out to me like somebody was sitting at a keyboard playing and it just falls apart and doesn't work for me. Yeah, it's a wordless for the most part dream pop. I would put it as as a description. It has a, a dreamy element to it, but it's it almost has like a like background music. Uh, element to it it's not necessarily one of the stronger tracks on the record perhaps if there was a better vocal on top of it it would be more interesting but it's not one of the ones that i flagged as being like something i want to listen to again what about you jay uh i completely disagree with both of you oh (laughs) this is one of my favorite songs on the record um i think because it's not a great from a songwriting standpoint there's not a whole lot here but I like the sounds. Um, I like that they add that weird effect on the vocal and mix that with like this broken rhythm beat kind of thing. Um, I like the they break into uh, harmony for the chorus, which is kind of dreamy and weird. I don't know. I just kind of like it has some has some elements of like there's moments where it sounds like cardigans esque, but like in a weird chopped up way. And uh, I don't know, just it was, um, it, it is a little bit of an experiment, but I just like it sonically. I just think it sounds interesting. And, um, uh, you know, there's some other song tracks on the record that I think are background music, music key as well, but at least this one is adventurous, I guess, hmm. and a little different. So, yeah, I dug it. Well, then I'm curious as to your feelings on track eight, Speechless, because to me, this gets as close to luscious jackson as uh, mm-hmm. as they do on the entire record um has a a pretty straightforward core chorus that you can uh, you know identify some of the other songs you can't necessarily identify where the chorus is like with um with clouds um but this this is pretty straightforward has a loungy laid back feel to it although it has a uh, the the drums especially the hi-hat percussion is um takes the forefront on on the record in it and it's uh, pretty pronounced but the rest of the song is sort of laid back but this is one of the songs that i highlighted as being uh in terms of melody and in terms of something that i could remember from the record this was one of the highlights of the album of, of the album sorry i'm three beers into a bourbon <laughs> ale here so uh i'm gonna mispronounce some words um <laughs> what did you guys think about Speechless? Go for it, Jay. 
Um, I, when it starts off, uh, my note was it sounds like the worst Sade song ever written. Me too. <laughs> oh, Jay. You and guys are jerks. And then it's and then it switches to yeah, Luscious Jackson song. got one of the worst lyrics i've ever heard what's the worst lyric ever um don't make my mouth water don't make me want to slaughter yes so but then what? the rest of it what happens after that it gets better i don't, I don't even know don't that, make the... me want the water don't make <laughs> me want to slaughter i don't remember what's after that the next two lyrics are equally ridiculous because i almost wrote it out we might have to look that up you might be right jay i did oh. um I wrote in my notes rhapsodic for this one. Rhapsod, what does that mean? You saw me crying, but now my eyes are dry. I mean, that's a good line. It 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 negates the the, the stupidness of don't make <laughs> no, me. No, it's slaughter. still pretty stupid. Um, <laughs> we have to find the lyric. Don't make me want to slaughter. <laughs> it's like what? You have to find the rest of it. Come on. It just, it just, it, it, it uh, struck me with, like, just searching for words that rhyme, like, with no meaning whatsoever. Yeah, that water, happens slaughter. a lot. Don't make my mouth water. Don't make me want to slaughter. If you give me a dishwasher, don't clean my life with your style. Yes, the dishwasher. <laughs> You're right. The second half is worse. See. Wow. But th this is a good line. You want quantity. I want quality. How can I get up and go through this tragedy? There's no rem remedy in my satchel. Satchel! It all comes back to satchel. Oh, Timothy. You say so. He puts on a front, but really he has like the heart of a 12-year-old girl. Listen to these deep lyrics. Let's get, to, let's get into King of Silence. Well, I was going to explain <laughs> Rhapsodic to Okay, Jay. go Rhapsodic. Go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, think like Rhapsody in Blue, which you probably don't know. So let me go into the rock. Shut up. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay? okay. That's that's a song that has Maybe distinct sections. It changes uh -huh. mood in the middle of the song. Like Paranoid Android? Yes. Paranoid Android is rhapsodic. Okay? So I feel like, you know, that opening section and then there are like two or three different distinct parts of this song and I think that's what makes it work it's interesting because it's long as well so for it to be long at least it did something interesting does that make sense Jay I feel it. I did have a question for you and you and Jay for Tim and sure Jay. um because you've recorded before I feel like overall some of the weaker songs have a really even mix. Like the vocals need to come out a little more. Is that intentional, do you think, or just bad mixing? Or what is that? Well, that's what I was talking about with um, uh, Moonchild. You know, it's just the, the uh, to me that the melody is, it's almost like there's a lack of confidence there. And they want to put like the, they want to mix up the big, you know, the drum machine. Yeah. You know, and throw that in your face because there's a little bit of like, Maybe not feeling confident about the the vocal, um, right? Uh, that'd be that would be my guess. Usually, if you hear a band, hear a record like that, um, you know, it's a band that's not confident in their vocals. Sure, yeah, I think that comes across, unfortunately. 
I also think that this comes across as an album that is not necessarily cohesive in terms of who was contributing. Um, I think there's definitely some uh, Sean Lennon inspired experimentation, which comes in towards more more towards the end of the record. Yeah, there's definitely a, an unevenness to a lot of the production. Mm-hmm. Um, and but one of the songs that I do like is King of Silence track nine. It has this like 70s soul groove to it. Uh, kind of reminded me of like a Curtis Mayfield or a or a um, Isaac Hayes style like 70s groove. Um, laid back, not necessarily one of the more aggressive songs on the record, but I enjoyed it. What'd you guys think? Uh, I did not. I this was one where get out. You know, <laughs> it's my house too. Um, this was one. You know, as we were just talking. I feel like it was probably too even a mix, probably covering up the fact that they don't really shine when they just sing. I feel like there was too much just singing on this one, and they lost that quirkiness. There just isn't a strong enough lead vocal to carry this song. Yeah, especially when they, as they go into the chorus, they do that run. It's like a, I don't know, it's kind of almost a falsetto or something, but there's some notes in there where you're like, eh. You know, yeah. as she like works her way up into the chorus and Yeah. You know, I, I think to your point, they're best when they're not uh, they're, they're at their best when the song isn't relying on, just on their vocal. Which mm-hmm. I mean it kinda it is counter to what I just talked about with Moonchild, but I think what you you described it that song is, you know, in a key or it's in a key or something that it's easier for them to sing and they pull mm-hmm. it off and it's layered yeah. and you don't notice it as much whereas this one you know it needs a good vocal to pull this off otherwise it's just sort of like a a phoned in you know lounge song um and this is one of the ones where i mentioned it feels a little bit like a music bit or just a background music and this is one of the ones mm-hmm. that i think is weaker than something like clouds which is at least experimental well I'm curious what you guys have to say about track 10, which is Blue Train, which to me is the worst song on the record and probably one of the worst songs I've ever heard. Um, it's Chiwamato trying to do a metal song, but with no metal chops. Um, it's just sort of this dirge of a metal riff, um, like three or four chords um not much in terms of melody and it's just awful experimentation for the sake of experimentation i hope you guys are on the same page with me i hope you guys aren't going to be like this is the best song on the record (laughs) question your sanity (laughs) i think it's fun oh i was entertained i I, it's not a good song no no but but it's like the essence of who they are. Like, like you expect quirkiness, you expect the unexpected. So, as a track, I like I see it as fun. I don't take it seriously, and I do. I do think it's almost more punk than it is metal. That chorus is just, just goofy. I don't know. It makes me laugh. I actually agree with both of you. <laughs> Um, uh, I kind of get it, but it's not a great song, like a, as a song, you know, and it just certainly doesn't need to be as long as it is. It would have been a great um, Flight of the Concord song. Yeah, and it would have been, it, actually, I like the, um, I mean, I like the sound of their sort of cute vocal sound and like the fact that their voices are a little higher and. Mm-hmm. That mixed with like a dirgy kind of guitar, that's kind of an interesting idea. Unfortunately, this is, isn't a very good song, no. but uh, right. it holds my attention for a little while to just see where it's going to go. At least, you know, when it popped up on the record, I was like, "Oh, where are we going with this?" And then it doesn't, you know, it speeds up at the right. end, but for the most part, it's that same riff. But this is where Sean Smith and I mentioned Satchel earlier knows how to handle this sort of riff, or knows how to handle this sort of sound where he can yeah. play both in that like piano ballad territory and then he can also move into like a heavier you know dirgy guitar riff territory and, and yeah. equally handle both of them it reminds me of that other band that he's in uh is it hail something hail the, the crown yeah it kind of, it yeah. actually did remind me of them like a 
a less sophisticated version of that band. Mm-hmm. But he has a history, like he understands Van Halen and he understands metal music. So yeah. he's able to like craft the proper vocal and proper melody on top of that. Whereas this sounds like a band sort of fooling around, you know, on an afternoon. Oh, look, this is funny. This is a this is a metal riff, and let's sort of screw around with that. Whereas when he does it, he's taking it seriously, and he's like, "I'm bringing, you know, my experience with like, you know, Van Halen, and to to, you know, understand what to do with this sort of a riff." It just, I, I, it actually like annoyed me. Like I, at this point, I was record, I was like. You better follow it up with something really good because I'm I'm losing interest really fast. Um, luckily, I think like Sunday Part One and, and to a lesser extent Sunday Part Two sort of redeem them. It's a good sort of pop follow up, um, and then the Sunday Part Two does it's it's a little bit of a slower song, so it doesn't necessarily work as well. But if you had ended it right there, I think I would have been okay. Um, unfortunately, they didn't. They went into the the slow bossa nova of Stone. And then this experimental nonsense of uh, Mortingming or whatever you want to, however that's pronounced. What are you doing? You're spoiling all the rest of the record. Yeah. Are you just like, <laughs> no. did you just like go down a playground slide? Like, what was that? It's so fast. I, I'm curious what you guys think about the la- the end of the record. Because to me, um, Sunday Part 1 and Part 2 are, st- are pretty solid str- uh, songs. But the end of the record sort of disintegrates. And I'm curious what you guys think. I did not like either part, Sunday part one or two. I thought they were okay. okay. To me, it was just like fizzling out. Yeah. And I did, I, you know, I was struggling on uh, Sunday part one on whether or not those were samples. Like what was going on there? I feel like there was some sampling happening, but it was intermittent. I, I found Sunday part one just kind of a little p- too predictable for them. Yeah. You know, I don't know, it just seemed like what I... At this point in the record, what I would expect them to be doing, and it sounds a little less—it's not as inspired as something like Sci-Fi was. They definitely sounded like B-sides to me. Yeah, um, and I think part two is just boring. <laughs> I put—I I would like it if I was trying to fall asleep. Like I would put it on, and I'd fall asleep to it. Right. Um, it's just not a whole lot there. I did like Stone. It's actually one of the. Um, I highlighted four songs from the record. It's the fourth song I highlighted. And is this Bossa Nova too? Mm-hmm. And this is a little more subtle. Yeah. Um, the thing I don't like is the uh, the the muffled trombone, the sad trombone. Right. Not a fan of that. But if you took out the sad trombone, wah, wah. Um, I actually kind of like it. It's kind of it's like a sweet, you know, kind of slower song um and i think the vocals are pretty decent on it yeah see i felt like it was just a couple clicks away from dreamy kind of fell into sluggish for me Mm -hmm. just wasn't quite enough it was close stone was close there were things that i liked about it but it just kind of dragged for me i thought in terms of the the two tracks that utilize that bossa nova feel that it didn't it didn't... Um, it was not the winner. It was not the winner, yeah. Oh, well, def- you guys are wrong. Okay, well. Sorry. Sweet. Well, thanks for I mean, there are winners and losers, and... <laughs> that's life.
So Jay, tell us why you loved Mortming, the experimental closing track. <laughs> I called this. Uh, my only note on this is that it should be called "Farting Around with the Mellotron." <laughs> yeah, pretty much. This is like the only redeeming thing about this is the Mellotron, which I love as an instrument, but it just sounds like they just got one in the studio and they hit record and yep. they sat around and just farted around with it for a couple of minutes and recorded it and put it on the record. I love yeah. that phrase, farting around. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a gem of our vernacular. Pretty much. So we've gone through the entire album. You didn't even ask me if I liked it. I don't care. <laughs> you've pretty I'll much. I'll remember that later. You've pretty much. Uh, you've given us your feelings. I, I had a point. What was your point? Well, I just feel like this doesn't stand up. This one doesn't hold past the '90s because it, it was very '90s to do like that deconstructive outro. Exactly. And we've... it reminded me a little bit of uh, the last track of Clarity. Only that track works for me. Yeah, and uh, we've See, covered this. See, I bef- had relevant information. We've covered this on previous episodes, but the experimental but this is a very special episode. <laughs> experimental outro track is is a is a reoccurring theme uh, oh, for so 90s, 90s albums. It's very 90s and it's it's very repetitive and it's very annoying. Yeah. And uh, you're right, Jimmy Eat World did do it better and and more successfully uh, rather than They um, did most things more successfully. Than Chibomato. So they, yeah, Jimmy World made a great album, and this is not a great album. This is a, this is an album that we're gonna rate now. We're gonna rate it on our our patents pending sp- scale, of a worthy album, better EP, and decent single. Uh, I'm curious as to where guy where you guys landed. Uh, is this a worthy album, or would this have been better as an EP or a single? Uh, Katie, I'm gonna start with you because this is an album that uh, you have championed. Uh, for a long time so did it stand up was it worthy album i went with ep on this one boom not a worthy album (laughs) drop the hammer so what songs would you put on the ep my okay let's go through my list here it my ep would consist of working for vacation spoon flowers moonchild sci-fi wasabi speechless and blue train so you got a seven-song EP. That's a strong EP right there. Jay, how about you? EP, album, single, where you land? Um, I have four songs highlighted, so I'll go with EP. Moonchild, Sci-Fi, Wasabi, Clouds, and Stone. Interesting. So I'm at, I got Working for, for, working for Vacation, Spoon, Lint of Love, Moonchild, Sci-Fi, Wasabi, Speechless, King of Silence, and Sunday Part One. I think I'm at an album. Holy. Oh, oh. I think I'm going to disagree with you guys. I think you guys are wrong. Well, that's a horse of a different color. Because <laughs> that puts me at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's a that's a 1970s album right there. That's a Rush album. And uh, well, because their songs are 12 minutes long. Right. And they're about wizards. Right. Exactly. Uh, this one and this is a song about food, and it's a, or an album about food and, and various uh, other uh, dishwashers, things. dishwashers and lint. Um. So they make me I, want to slaughter. They make me want to slaughter. <laughs> but I'm at eight songs. I'm going to give them an album. I think it's way too long. I think there's a lot of crap on this record. I think there's much to be trimmed. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm right, and you guys are uh, are you guys are wrong. So, <laughs> Katie, welcome to the fold, as they would say in filters. Did you territory. want another beer? No, I've had enough beer. Yeah, I'd say three deep into my bourbon ales. So that's our review of Chibamato and their album Stereotype A. They have a new album out this week, Hotel Valentine. I haven't heard anything off of it yet, but I'm sure there are songs about food. I, I would guarantee there are songs about food. Or washing about, dishes. Or dishwashing. Or um, other things. So. I can't wait. Jay, are you going to be checking out Hotel Valentine or are you done with Chibamato? I've done my time. You've done your time. Yeah. You're ready to be released into the into the world and moved on to. Uh, some, I can. Uh, uh, this is added to my to who I am, and I can take that and move forward with it and, uh, to bigger and better things. Understood. Well, if of course, if any of our listeners have an album they'd like us to review, head on over to our digmeoutpodcast.com page, and you can request a review for us to check out. And of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback at our iTunes 
page. We greatly appreciate it. Bump us up in the ratings. Cat, uh, I was going to call you Kathy. You almost called me Kathy. <laughs> Holy I've shit. A, I've, had a lot of, I've had a lot of drink tonight. Jason? Wow. What is going on I'll over there? I'll be there shortly. Jeremy and, on, and Kathy, <laughs> thank you for joining tonight. I'll be getting on a plane later. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> uh, that's it. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're the voice sure. of this podcast. You don't know it, but you are. And, uh, <laughs> no, I was there. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't know. I, I have to harangue uh, Katie into uh, doing the intros for each episode. I'm basically like, hey, would you mind uh, coming down to the basement and recording like seven intros in a row? She's like, okay. She always makes me, he makes me sit on this piano bench. It's really uncomfortable. <laughs> He sits in this really nice chair. I do. I have a do you nice make her chair. do all? Uh, uh, My foot's takes. asleep right now. Yeah, that I do make her enough. do. No, I'm like, hey, you popped on uh, that particular vowel. Can you can you redo that? Do you, you have, have little... like an out, any outtakes of uh, like when Orson Welles went off on that one guy that was trying to um, creative direct him doing that commercial read <laughs> or uh, um, what was the other one? There's another famous one. Um, the guy from Star Trek. William Shatner. Yeah, there's a William Shatner one with the same thing. The guy's like, um, could you try doing it? And he just <laughs> tears the guy down in the in the in the funniest way possible. Uh, I give so there's my teacher face. She just gives me the face. Uh, my teacher face is menacing. Yeah. And then I go, Okay, that was fine. Let's move on. Never mind. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh that's it. That's a wrap. For Stereotype A, Chibo Motto, uh, episode 164, oh sorry, 161 of season 4 is in the books, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Digging Out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. Yeah,